Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Good, Dan. How about you? No complaints. No complaints. Uh, That's good. We don't want to hear them anyway, so. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I haven't been getting much sleep lately. I may be a little messed up in the head. Was that a smile? Was that a, was that like a, was that the muscles on the corners of the mouth of Coach Miserable? They used to call him Doom. Parcells called him Doom when he was with the Giants. Was that a smile from Bill Belichick? Holy crap. It's a new day in New England. Maybe he can't contain his glee over the fact that he's gone up Rounded up a bunch. <laughs> He's happy. What? Something's going on. It's a setup. I don't buy it. Something's not right, Miles Simmons. Good afternoon. How are you? Uh, doing well. Not as good as Bill Belichick, though, man. I mean, that smile. It's April, I guess, you know? But when you're coming off a of 7 and 9 season, maybe he's just happy because finally he got Robert Kraft to spend some money in free agency. I have no idea how the legal rights would work if we were to put that image on a shirt and sell it. We probably would be <laughs> infringing in some way. But nothing stops me from putting on a shirt and wearing it, and that's what I think I'm going to do. I want that picture. I may get, you know, we've talked in the not-too-distant past about tattoos. Can't recall whether it was this show or morning show, but let me pull that up again. Oh. I'd be tempted. Smiling Bill Belichick, it is such a rarity. It is a solar eclipse. It is the planets aligning. It is Halley's Comet. It is all of it happening at once. A smile right there, right there. That's what I want. That image of Bill Belichick smiling forever on my body, Miles. You can get that right under the Foxborough Forever logo that, you know, that Julian Edelman's got <laughs> oh, no. going on. That's copyright protected. Nope, nope. Got to send him a quarter every time he says Foxborough Forever. We were joking about that today. That why would he say Foxborough Forever? What's he doing? Selling T-shirts with Foxborough Forever on them? Yes, he is. <laughs> he is. $29.99 gets you a Foxborough Forever T-shirt at JulianEdelman.com. Not an official hey, sponsor of PFTPM. Now or ever. Probably. All right. Uh, so the reason we played Belichick, he had his pre-draft press conference today. The guy doesn't talk very often out of season. In season, he talks all the time. Out of season, doesn't talk very often. And he spoke, Miles, about a topic that was very relevant a couple of weeks ago when owner Robert Kraft said a few things that maybe constituted a little, a little snide comment, a little criticism, a little slam of the draft process. Here's Belichick talking about changes they've made this year in New England. Well, we're always, you know, always looking to do to get better um, always try to evaluate everything we do and try to find a better way to, to do it. So that's that's a, I would say an annual process with the draft, but it's something that we do uh, on a regular basis throughout the course of the season, whether it's, you know, whatever period of time it is. So, um, you know, always looking to, to do a better job. There were some things that uh, last year that were unique to the draft process. As I mentioned, some of those are similar this year. Some of them are a little bit different. Um, so we, you know, certainly um, 
use some of that experience to uh, improve the process a little bit this year. At least we felt we improved it this year. Um, yeah, but ultimately, we're still going to try to you know, evaluate the players and, and make the decisions that uh, we feel like are best for the football team. There had been a report a few weeks back after Robert Kraft said what he said, Albert Breer of SI.com reporting that Belichick in the past has gone off the board, gone against the preferences, defied the rankings of his scouts, most notably with receiver and Keel Harry round one, two years ago when the scouts had guys like Debo Samuel and AJ Brown higher than Harry and what's happened. Harry has not been good. Samuel and Brown have been great. Samuel banged up some, but when he's available, he's really good. But, you know, Miles, I, I, this is a refreshing Bill Belichick. Could it be that one day shy of turning 69, he's starting to realize life's too short to be miserable all the time? Wouldn't that be Maybe. great if he's, if he's realizing that he should not spend his remaining years dour and somber and miserable all the time? Well, like you said, I mean, he's turning 69 and maybe he just wants to be nice for a change. I think that when you see Bill Belichick and he's speaking the way he is, I mean, he's basically just saying a lot of words, right, that don't necessarily mean all that much. And that's what a lot of head coaches do when you're in the pre-draft process. But today, I mean, he was asked different questions about different things, but it's not like he was answering the questions, really. He just said a lot of different words. Like, I'm not sure how much he really answered what it is that they're doing differently this year. He talked about how, yes, there is some sort of different processes that have had to happen in the last couple of years. That's pretty obvious because COVID made that the same for everybody, right? So I think that there's maybe that aspect of it, but also, I don't know, maybe he feels maybe reinvigorated. You know, like I said, maybe he's just going into year 69. He wants to be a little bit nicer. If that's the case, great for him. But I still think once we get to the season, he's going to be, you know, the same guy that he's always been, Mr. Mumbles. It's entirely possible, though, that he has finally figured out what Nick Saban has known for years, which is that it is, it is possible to smile, to say things, to let the reporters feel like they're getting answers, even though when they go back and look at the transcript, they're going to say, yeah, I didn't say anything. But at least the process isn't like pulling teeth out of an agitated alligator. It's, it's more pleasant. I'm holding out hope. I'm holding out hope that we're going to see. Although, I, you know, I'll end up missing the mumbling miserable Bill Belichick because it adds flavor to the NFL. But he did say Matt Patricia, former Lions coach, has been more involved in the draft process. There had been reports of Patricia being actually involved in negotiating free agent contracts, signing on behalf of the team. The Cam Newton contract I saw somewhere signed by Matt Patricia last year, that same contract signed by Nick Casario. So different things happening. Matt Patricia, not officially on the coaching staff, but he's there and he's involved. And he's assisting. And I, it's, it's a new day in New England. I, I just, I, I like this vibe. I like this feeling. Here's more from Bill Belichick on drafting at 15 in round one miles and the possibility of trading up if the opportunity arises. I think that it, again, each draft's a little bit different. And, and uh, so each year's a little bit different. But all that being said, um, you know, at 15, I think we could eliminate a few players that won't be at 15. Uh, and then you could look at a couple scenarios and say, well, if, you know, these three players are there, which one would we take? If 
these other three different players were there, which one would you take? You know, you, you go through that exercise and, and, and talk about that. But I would say normally something, now there's less options at 15 than there are, you know, 28, 30, 31, you know, some other spots that we drafted from. But um, I would say normally something will happen and, and there could very well be a player there that uh, either you don't expect to be there or maybe he is a couple spots, maybe at 12, 13, he's still on the board and you really thought that he'd be gone in the top six, seven picks. And then that, you know, then the question comes, you know, do you move up and try to get that player that's fallen a little bit? You know, if I could do a really good John Madden impersonation, I would read that answer from the transcript because that just smacks of the kind of obvious stuff that we always heard. He didn't say anything. Well, you see, we got picked number 15 and there may be a player there that we take at number 15 and we don't have to stay there. What we could do see is trade up if we see an opportunity to do that. Do you understand? And then maybe we don't, maybe we do, we can, but we don't have to, we can stay where we are. He's figuring out the words don't matter. He doesn't have to be afraid that he's going to open his mouth and inadvertently reveal his draft board. I feel like he's always been that way. Like every time he has a press conference, he's being interrogated by opposing forces behind enemy lines. No, it doesn't have to be that way. And it's a shame that he seems to be figuring that out one day shy of his 69th birthday, Miles. No, I don't know. I, I think it's mostly just the fact that we're in April and we are. he already knows that anything he says is going to be used against him. So he's just saying a bunch of things that are nothing. Although now that I think about it, I have seen him do uh, pre-draft press conferences where it uh, definitely is like pulling teeth for him. So maybe you're right. Maybe he is just learning things and maybe, I don't know, a losing season. And maybe he got some more sleep in January and February because he wasn't in the Super Bowl like it seems he is every single year. And, you know, he just wants to turn a new leaf, wants to do something a little bit differently. But I, I think the thing that, like, I just find interesting about the Patriots is that everything has to be like Fort Knox. I mean, like you were just talking about the fact that Matt Patricia uh, is now doing different things inside of the Patriots complex. What exactly is Matt Patricia's title? And why don't we get to know? I don't really understand why it is that we don't get to know like every other team in the league, what people's titles are and what jobs they have there. Look, I looked on the Patriots website just to be sure of this because I just wanted to say like maybe they have it somewhere. No, they don't. And you know what they do have? They have Jed Fish still listed as the quarterback's coach. He has been <laughs> in Arizona as a head coach of the University of Arizona since December. I don't get that. Why can't we just know, like every other team, what people's titles are? Well, Ernie Adams has been there as long as Bill Belichick, and we still don't know what the hell his title is or what the hell he does. He's just Ernie Adams. And I think Matt yeah. Patricia is developing into this new age Ernie Adams where he's just going to be doing stuff. We don't know what. He's got projects, special projects. What's his title? Nobody knows. He just shows up. Shows up, glares at you, pulls the pencil out of his ear, makes a note, puts it back, walks away. All right, we'll walk away from the Patriots for now, though. But but that that was I I I like a good story. And what story is better than the inevitable end of a 20-year dynasty, something we've never seen in the free agency era? Hell, I don't remember any team being that dominant for that long in my lifetime. And to do it in this age is even harder. And now we've seen it it end, 
And this effort to build it again, how long does it take? The city has crumbled, Rome has burned, and they're trying to build a new one. And I just think that part of it to me is incredibly fascinating because I wouldn't bet against Bill Belichick figuring out a way to build a new dynasty before he's done coaching. All right. Washington football team has not won a Super Bowl since 1991. This is the 30-year anniversary of their last Super Bowl championship. Congratulations, Washington. Daniel Snyder. And, you know, I made the point earlier to someone. I had April 19, 2021 in the pool for when Daniel Snyder would try to initiate some sort of litigation against Bruce Allen. I missed it by just four days because today was the day that the petition was filed. And this gets complicated. Let me make it simple. Daniel Snyder has a defamation lawsuit against a website known as MEAWW.com. For whatever reason, that lawsuit has been pending in India, not Indiana, in India for months, if not close to a year. It was all tied to the idea. Remember last year, Miles, when there was this rumor that there was going to be some big bombshell story about the Washington football team and Daniel Snyder and the Washington Post has something and they're cooking up something that's going to be big. This website, and they later took the story down, and we're not doing anything wrong by mentioning this. It's mentioned in the court papers that were filed by Snyder today. This website had an item linking him to Jeffrey Epstein, the notorious sex trafficker who died in custody, committed suicide or whatever. That article tied Snyder to Epstein, and it's defamatory. It's false. It was, it was expunged, but he's been suing that company. And he's been trying to get information from different people in the United States that he thinks may have been involved. Now that he's bought out his partners, he no longer is going after them. At one point, he was. He thought they were in on it. Now he wants to see if Bruce Allen, who was with the team for 10 years, most recently the president of the Washington football team, fired after the 2019 season, Snyder now wants to question him under oath get documents from Bruce Allen, find out what he knew, when he knew it, and who he was talking to, because apparently he spent a lot of time on the phone with the investment banker who was trying to find a buyer for the minority interests held by Robert Rothman, Fred Smith, and Dwight Shar. So there's some smoke there, and Snyder wants to go looking for the fire, and if he finds it, there could be a lawsuit filed against Bruce Allen. Yeah, I, I read that article, um, both your posts and the article from theathletic.com, uh, and, you know, it talks about how those conversations lasted like 270 minutes or four and a half hours. That's a long time to be talking to anyone, I mean, whether it's over one occasion or over several occasions. So it does seem like there's a there there, if that makes any sense. I think, you know, when we always talk about things like where there's smoke, there may be some fire. It definitely seems like, there could be some fire where there is this smoke. And I feel like if you're Dan Snyder, yeah, you absolutely want to get Bruce Allen under oath and make sure that he has to answer the questions that you have. Because at a certain point, you also don't necessarily want somebody to testify under oath unless you really think that they have some kind of information that would be of use to you. So I think this is going to be very interesting the way this plays out. Like you tweeted, you know, man eating popcorn dot gif. Yes, I would also like to have my popcorn ready for this. The other aspect of this as well, the effort to find out what Bruce Allen knew, when he knew it, what he may have said as it relates to this Jeffrey Epstein false story, that 
can be a pretext for digging around to see what Alan was saying to the investment banker about what it was that those three minority partners were trying to do. Because I, I think there's reason to believe that even if there was no connection to the false story, there was at some level, I believe, I, I think, my, this is more hunch than anything else. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some effort to basically say, hey, we're trying to sell these shares. We can't find any buyers. People don't want to do business with Daniel Snyder. They don't want to be minority partners in an NFL team anyway because you've got no vote. You've got no path to control. What's the point? You, you get to go sit in the suite on game days and act like a big shot. You don't own the team. You don't run the team. Maybe we can find a way to nudge him out. And I think there was a thought, whether it was happening or not, there was a thought that maybe there was kind of a mutiny by the minority partners. And if Bruce Allen was tied up in that, if there was some sort of a conversation that, hey, these other three guys are going to take control and maybe they'll bring you back and reinstall you as the president of the team. It, it's just the numbers that that were quoted, it was like 21 days. It was something or 21 hours. It was some ridiculous. 21 days would be a lot of time to be on the phone. 21 hours of conversations in a relatively short time period. It, it just tells me there's something there. There's something there. If you scratch hard enough, you're going to find something. It may not be the Jeffrey Epstein false story, but it's going to be something. And that's what Snyder wants to find out, Miles. Yeah, sure. And I think that the, what you're talking about with, you know, if they were to ha if they happen to be able to force Snyder out and then maybe Bruce Allen could be reinstalled as team president. Uh, that, to me, makes a lot of sense as a type of theory. Right. Because especially he'd been there for so long. I mean, that was basically his baby as a franchise it was what he had basically constructed so it stands to reason that when you get ousted that you would maybe want your job back and maybe you have some feelings that are unresolved and you know you want to be able to do, do what you were doing before so I understand your theory there and I think that there could be something there um, within that but I yeah it'll just be really interesting to see how this thing plays out because Washington as a franchise is always very interesting. Not often very good. They haven't necessarily been all that great since that championship season, but they are definitely always interesting because it just seems like there's always something going on off the field with them. And the unfortunate thing is you got guys now like head coach Ron Rivera, like Jason Wright, the team president that had really a lot of the stuff has nothing to do with them, but they might have to end up answering for it. So it'll, like I said, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. And, and here's the other side of this, Miles. And this, I, I joked about it a little bit at the end of the story about this Daniel Snyder effort to question the former team president. Jason Wright's in that spot now. And this is one of the realities of taking a job with someone who has a reputation for being very litigious. He could be the next one at some point down the road. If there's a bad breakup, if there's a messy divorce, if he gets fired, if Daniel Snyder doesn't like something he said, something he did, something he heard, Snyder is not hesitant and not bashful about using the legal system if he wants to. And anyone who takes a job with that team has to know you potentially are going to end up in a fight. Scott McLuhan, former GM, he had to go to arbitration to try to get the balance of his pay after he was fired. He ultimately lost. Why? Because the arbitration is done by the commissioner or his designee. You're never going to win that, frankly, and in my opinion. But the arguments I thought that they were making were pretty weak. Doesn't matter. They made them and they won. So be advised, anytime 
you take a job with someone who has a reputation for being litigious. The OTA issue has not yet resulted in litigation or any type of a union grievance, but there is a fight between the NFL and the NFLPA that is still happening. The question of whether or not players will show up or not show up and the dribs and drabs of teams issuing statements saying they're not going to be there. Again, I'll believe it when it doesn't happen. That continues. The thing that's significant to me, though, Miles, it was yesterday at six o'clock Eastern time that the Cowboys had a video conference to talk about this recommendation that they stay away from the offseason program, the in-building, on-field offseason program, and we haven't seen a statement from the Cowboys yet. I wonder how many of these teams, for everyone that has, and we saw the Bears comment there, the Browns have issued one, the Giants have issued one. How many teams have said, thanks, we understand your point, we wish you well, but we know we're going to work out anyway. Why not just work out? at the team facility. That's the thing I continue to come back to, Miles. You're going to work out anyway. Work out at the team facility and have insurance against an injury that would keep you from playing this season because if that happens at the building, you get paid. If it happens at Planet Fitness, you don't get paid. Exactly. And that's sort of the thing that I don't necessarily understand where they're talking about guys and saying, you know, they know how to work out on their own. We know how to get prepared. A lot of times guys are going to go and have uh, throwing sessions. I've already seen this on social media with some guys are already doing kind of throwing sessions before the offseason program was even supposed to begin. Now, that's one thing. And in phase one of the offseason program, which now is going to be this four week virtual period, they wouldn't be able to be on the field anyway with a ball, you know, and you're thrown with all these different guys. That's not allowed really during that time, as I understand it. So it becomes the, uh, then in late May, right? And in June, early June, usually when the OTA practices are, why would you not want to be in the facility where, like you're saying, Mike, you have that protection there? And if you're at that point, And a lot of these statements have been talking about the COVID-19 pandemic and all that and how we don't know what the safety precautions are going to be. I think that we know that the NFL has basically said, look, we're still going to have testing, you know, and we are recommending to, well, not even recommending. It's basically for all employees that are not players, you have to get vaccinated. So then it is incumbent on the player to say, I'm going to get vaccinated too, so I protect myself from this virus. If you can do all of that and, you know, I don't necessarily know what the COVID-19 issue is going to have to do with it by late May, because at this point, pretty much anybody who wants to get a shot can get a shot or at least sign up to get a shot. So it, I, I understand what the players are saying, but also if I'm the NFL and I know that we collectively bargained the fact that we were going to have an offseason program last year, I don't know why I would back down on this. I am as supportive of player rights as anyone in the media, especially anyone who works for the league or works for one of the network partners. And I will say when I think the league is it at fault, when, when the players have a point and when the players are being treated unfairly and when the fans are lining up behind the billionaires instead of supporting the players that they all think are millionaires, guess what? They're all not millionaires. I, and so my, my, record, my record is staunch in that regard. I think they're blowing this. I think this is a huge mistake. I think it's so obvious that this isn't about COVID-19. If it was, every player would be vaccinated. And if it is about COVID-19, what's wrong with the protocols that they negotiated last year for training camp, regular season, 
and postseason. What don't they like about the protocols they agreed to last year? What's the problem? And why aren't you getting vaccinated? It really undercuts your argument if you're not getting vaccinated. It undercuts your argument if you don't like the protocols that you agreed to. And I think this is, Miles, a combination of different motivations, different agendas. Guys like J.C. Treader, he doesn't want one anyway. So, hey, we, we, we got a pandemic. We can point to that. But next year, I don't want one either. Well, what's your reason next year? I just don't want one. I'll, I'll keep finding reasons until I admit I just don't want one. Other guys are just pissed because the NFL always wins at the bargaining table. This is a way for them to push back a little bit. But if you try and it collapses, what they need to understand is, and I think this is part of the, the very linear mindset that most football players have, and it can be a very successful mindset. But at the same time, there are plenty of football players that have never seen a brick wall they aren't ready to ram their head into. And this idea that we're just going to go forward, they're not thinking what it means if it does collapse and the NFL comes out of this, Miles, saying we've proven again that this workforce is incapable of collective action. Well, the other thing, too, is, Mike, I mean, you've had teams who have released statements that say we're not coming. Then we have teams where it's some of us are some of us are not coming. The majority of us are not coming. And you can't even necessarily get teams to agree on those types of things. And now since the Browns, obviously, J.C. Treader is a Browns player. It doesn't surprise me that the Browns as a collective have said we're not coming to these voluntary workouts. But when they cite the COVID-19 pandemic, I think, like you said, I mean, I am in Cleveland right now. I signed up to get a shot. It was extremely easy. I went and I got my first one. I am on the list and I'm getting my second one this Sunday. I am very happy about it. So there are ways to be able to get vaccinations, right? And, and I think, you know, you you have a point when you're talking about saying it's, it's not just about the COVID-19 pandemic. It's mostly that they don't want this to happen anyway. And I, too, am very pro player. I obviously don't have the same length of a track record as you do, but I do believe that this is not a that's situation. A that's a polite way of calling me old, Miles. <laughs> I was hoping we could just move past it. It was kind of a drive by there. But like, I, I really do think that this is not necessarily a fight that the players can win because once you get these young guys in, the draft picks that want to make the team that are, you know, your sixth, your seventh round picks, the undrafted guys that are going to come in and try to make the team. I mean, you've been saying this for the last two days, right? Everybody that is going to sign an undrafted free agent is probably going to make it very clear that you need to be in the building. And even if they didn't make it clear, the agent is going to make it clear because otherwise you don't have a shot at making the team. So this, I don't really know how this ends for the players, but it just seems like it's going to be a scattershot thing. Some guys are going to be in, some guys aren't, and they don't have to be, it's voluntary. But I just, I don't know that you're going to get the real kind of collective action that the players would need to really force some kind of change. Last point on this, the timeline that the NFL has put together is brilliant because the rookie minicamp that happens every year, voluntary rookie minicamp, but you have draft picks, undrafted free agents, and also tryout players. Do you think a tryout player who isn't worried about getting to the 53, he's just trying to get to the 90. You think he's not going to show up? <laughs> I think that guy's going to be there. They're going to have 50 guys or more in every training camp, every facility, excuse me, training camp comes later, but every facility, the second week, third week of May, right before phase three of the offseason program, when the doors open for those 10 on-field practices. It's, it's, 
it's not going to work. They can point to specific victories. A certain player stays away or a certain team only has 20 guys or whatever. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And they'd be better off finding a different way to fight this fight. couple of free agents who signed today that we need to mention real quickly. Former first-round picks, Alden Smith, a top-10 pick in 2011 of the 49ers, had 42 sacks in his first 43 regular season games. He's now with the Seahawks, Miles. They wanted to trade for him last year. Cowboys said no. He had a great game against Seattle in September. Now he's landing there. And if you give him the time to get in shape, real football shape, because last year he looked a little big. He looked a little not like the guy that he was 2011 through 2013 when he was dominant. You get him back into that kind of condition, I think he could be really good. Well, first of all, the the simple fact that he's even back in the league, I mean, that's an accomplishment for him, you know, just based on all the different suspensions and four complete years out of the league. And so the fact that he not only played uh, all 16 games, but started all 16 games, didn't have those five sacks, didn't have one after early November, um, as I was looking at it today. So uh, he definitely played. Did he play all that well late in the season? Eh, But... I think you're right. If he gets into good football shape, he can definitely help out that defense up there in Seattle, which which really is predicated a lot on getting pressure with the front four. If he can be one of those guys, that's a good sign for them. And and I I agree with you, and I don't want to give short shrift to what a story this is of redemption. The guy was living in his car a year before he was playing for the Cowboys. He's been through hell and back. And when guys like this turn their life around, I want to celebrate it because it serves as an inspiration to other people who are going through lesser adversity or greater adversity, whatever it is. If you're going through adversity, you see what Alden Smith did. And I think it makes you inspired to try to do the same thing in your own life. So good for Alden Smith, and we wish him the best in Seattle. Cordero Patterson, I'm old enough to remember when nobody knew how to pronounce his first name. I'm old enough to remember when nobody knew how to pronounce Roger Goodell's last name, frankly, back in 2006. But Patterson, first-round pick of the Vikings 2013, was with the Bears for a while, was with someone else in between, wasn't he? Who was he with after the Vikings? He was with the Vikings for four years. He's been around. He was with the, the Patriots, Patriots, and then he was with the Bears, yeah. and now he's with the Atlanta Falcons on a one-year deal. Very versatile player, Miles. Kick returner, hard-nosed runner. Put him in the backfield. Give him some reps that way. I, I think it's not a bad, not a bad move for the Falcons. No, I don't think so either. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Arthur Smith does with that running game. You know, he's been an architect of a ground and pound thing, right, with Derrick Henry over the last couple of years. Um, And Patterson, I mean, I remember I covered a game, it must have been in 2014, where he returned a kick so easily and just kind of went down the sideline against the Rams and took it in, I believe, for a touchdown. So he's got a lot of ability, um, and he's had that ability for a really long time. It's going to be interesting to see if he's just going to be a return guy or are they going to incorporate him on the offensive side and how creative are they going to be doing that? It's it's something that can work out for the Falcons because it really at this point is just a low risk move. I remember a time when the Vikings were playing at TCF Bank Stadium before their new venue opened and they were getting destroyed by the Seahawks in the second half. Cordero Patterson returned a kickoff for a touchdown. It was the first points the Vikings scored all day. He celebrated like he'd won the Super Bowl. And I remember being on Paul Allen's show. He's the voice of the Vikings a couple of days later saying they should just cut him for this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, it's 30 to seven instead of 30 to nothing. Now, congratulations. Go live it up. Cordero Patterson. All right, let's take a break. Two weeks to go until the draft. Miles and I are going to give you our 
hunch, guess, information, whatever for the first five picks. We're going to do that each when PFTPM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The draft happens two weeks from tonight. There is your top 16. We're going to focus on the top five this segment. Miles and I are going to give you our thoughts, our hunches, our guesses as to who the top five picks will be. And here's a shock. We both think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence, number one, to the Jaguars. We both think it's going to be Zach Wilson, number two, to the New York Jets. That's not even worth discussing. Miles, how big of a shock would it be for you if the Jets don't take Zach Wilson at two? I'll be huge. I think it would be a huge shock because I think based on everything that we've heard and all the reporting that there's been out of New York, I mean, BYU itself and Steve Young talking about different stuff, it just seems like that is definitely going to be the pick. So if it's not, I mean, kudos to the Jets for coming up with this big old smokescreen. And I also feel like the 49ers wouldn't have traded up to number three overall if they didn't know or have at least a very, very, very good idea uh, who the Jets were going to pick at number two overall. So if it's not Zach Wilson, I will maybe fall out of my chair, man. I I think that would be very surprising. All right, let's pivot then to number three, the San Francisco 49ers who made that trade up three weeks ago tomorrow. Who do you think they will take as of right now with two weeks to go, plenty of time to change your mind. But right now, if they were putting a name on the card, what name do you think it would be? Okay. I, I think that uh, you probably influenced me on this because earlier today you were talking about the fact that the betting odds have changed, but I also saw a picture yesterday of Kyle Shanahan at Justin Fields pro day. And I recognized the look on his face and he he was just so smitten. He just looks smitten with Justin Fields. And I've had that look on my face a time or two as well. So I'm going to say Justin Fields, at wow. number three overall to the San Francisco 49ers. I'm bucking the trend. I'm going with the betting people. 
Are you talking about the photo where Shanahan was masked down talking to Justin Fields? Is that what you're talking about? Look at that. Look there it at is. These, Put your mask up, Kyle. Look. I mean, maybe first of all, yes. Kyle's. Wait, wait, let's go next level. Kyle's trying to give Justin Fields COVID, so oh, that whoever drafts him is going to get a guy who's got COVID. I'm, that's you know, we're at the Jeez. point. Are, are we not at the point in the pandemic where we can where we can have a little bit of a laugh? If you're not going to wear uh, your mask, you set yourself up for that. All right. Um, I the betting odds have changed, and Mac Jones was the favorite to be number three overall up until just about earlier today. Pete Demolitis sent me the points bet odds. Justin Fields is now minus one twenty five to be the third overall pick. Mac Jones plus one hundred, and Trey Lance plus four fifty. Jones had been the overwhelming favorite. Now it's Fields, and one of the things I can't tell Miles how much of what's going on. When you hear this chatter, maybe it's not Jones. Maybe it's not Jones. I feel like some of it is NFL Network, ESPN, deliberately making things interesting. If you lock in too much on one guy, now we got the first three picks. We got the first hour of the draft. There's no reason to tune in. We know who the first three picks are going to be. Whether there is true uncertainty or not, it's influenced the betting markets. And the thing that I've said all along if you're the 49ers and you make that trade, you give up three first-round picks and a third-round pick for that guy. If you don't have a pretty damn good idea who that guy is, just the idea that, well, you know, we're going to give up all this and we'll figure it out later who we're going to take. I feel like they knew when they made the move, and it's a process of confirmation, not elimination. So I'm going to stick with Jones just, just because you said Fields. But it's not going to surprise me now if it is Fields. And there were people who thought it was Lance. Now Lance is plus 450. Yeah. So maybe it'll end up being Trey Lance. But it is going to be a quarterback. That's the one thing we know. We just don't know which one. All right. So you got Fields at three. What do the Falcons do at four? I think that the Falcons would then take Trey Lance because then they set themselves up for a quarterback of the future. And you can then let him get, you know, a little seasoning behind Matt Ryan, who's still your quarterback of the present. Because, look, they're, they're going to have Matt Ryan, especially after restructuring that contract, for another year. It, it just would make too much sense um, for them to hold on to Matt Ryan. And, you know, the reports have been that Arthur Blank still thinks that Matt Ryan has something left in the tank. So I think it would make sense if they get a guy like Trey Lance, somebody who has not played as much football, as much college football as some of these other guys who are available at the QB position. And then you allow him to really come in and learn the system, really start to get comfortable. Maybe you start wanting to play him in 2022, but I think by 2023, you feel really comfortable. You feel really good. And you got yourself a guy. See, if, the Fal- if the Falcons have Mac Jones and Trey Lance available to them at four, I think at that point the chance of trading down goes up because I could see one of these other teams that really want Mac Jones that assume he's going to be gone. Why are you shaking your head? Because that wasn't the head? game. That wasn't the I'm game. I'm just saying, no, I'm not saying you should have said that. I'm not saying you should have said that. I'm just saying I'm, I'd be intrigued by the possibility. I'm not finding fault with your pick. I'd be intrigued okay. by the possibility of the Falcons trading out of that spot and someone offering them something that they can't refuse to come up and get Mac Jones. I think the Falcons, I'll agree with you that, well, you know what? Let's make it interesting. I'll say they'll go Kyle Pitts. Ooh. I think they'll go Kyle Pitts. Best non-quarterback in the draft. A guy who who really should be a receiver. He's huge. He's fast. He's going to be used like a receiver. He may be a better version of Jimmy Graham 
frankly, by the time it's all said and done. And that's a high bar because when he was at his best, Jimmy Graham was one of the best pass-catching tight ends we've ever seen. So I'll go Kyle Pitts to make it interesting. A guy they're going to draft and use, not a guy they're going to draft and develop. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I like Kyle Pitts too, but I, I think that he also, if you're going to pick him there, he basically can develop into a Julio Jones replacement as your top guy. Because after Julio Jones last year with all those issues with the hamstring, we don't really know exactly what Julio Jones is going to be in 2021, in 2022. So I think that's a good pick to set them up going forward on offense too. Okay, pick five, Cincinnati Bengals. Who do you have? I think they've got to go with Sewell, left tackle out of Oregon. I think especially because Joe Burrow got hurt, they have to find a replacement that's really going to stick there for Andrew Whitworth, who they have basically been trying to replace since the end of the 2016 season when he then went and signed with the Rams. He's somebody who plays with tenacity at left tackle. And I just feel like if you are the Bengals and you get somebody like Sewell, left tackle, you know you've got your QB, you can fill in around in different spots, but that is a guy who is such a good athlete. He's so strong. I mean, he talks about you know, coming in and hitting guys with bad intentions. That's exactly what you want as a left tackle. And especially, like I said, after Joe Burrow got hurt, you want to make sure that he is as protected as possible going forward. Got to do it. Got to do it. Penny Sewell, but an opportunity to trade down, I believe, whether it's your scenario, if Mac Jones is still there, my scenario, if Trey Lance is still there, Bengals very conservative when it comes to making moves like that. They they just as soon take the guy and not play the game that maybe we wouldn't get him if we go down a few spots, but they could get more lottery tickets. And Miles, one of my big beliefs when it comes to the draft, you're always better off having more lottery tickets, more lottery tickets more opportunities, you're going to scratch them off and you're going to get yourself a winner. So uh, that's something that I think they should consider and they should be working the phones and they shouldn't be stubborn about that. Hey, go back to last year. They were bound to determine not to trade out of that top spot, no matter what the Miami Dolphins offered. Well, you know what? If you'd have taken the offer and gone to five, you'd have gotten a bunch of extra stuff and you could have had Justin Herbert. And you can't say you're going to be in a worse spot if that ultimately happens. All right, let's take a break. We're going to go picks six through ten when this Thursday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. All right, let's continue with the sixth overall pick in the draft. There are our guesses for the top five. Miami Dolphins, after going from three to 12, now it's six. Miles Simmons, what do they do? I believe they picked Devontae Smith. I think they're going to reunite Tua Tagovailoa and Devontae Smith. Those two did things that were really good at Alabama. I think that the, the Miami Dolphins want to keep getting speed there down there on their offensive side of the ball. And I think, obviously, Smith... A Heisman Trophy winner, he's got that. He can provide that. And, you know, he's already got a little bit of built-in chemistry with Tua. So I think that'd be a good pick for him. Most of these are educated guesses or complete guesses. This one is more educated guess than complete guess. Okay. I think they go Jalen Waddle with the sixth mm. overall pick. Based on the board as we've constructed it, I think they go Jalen Waddle. There's going to be the opportunity to trade out. Quarterback's still there. You've got Mac Jones still there. I've got Trey Lance still there. I think they go Jalen Waddle. And Jalen Waddle, I think, gets the edge over Jamar Chase because Chase opted out last year, and I think that's going to hurt him. 
I, I wish that wasn't the case. I hope that's not the case. But I think it's going to be Jalen Waddle sixth overall to Miami Dolphins. That's just my gut feeling. Okay. Well, I mean, it was last year that everybody thought that Jerry Judy was going to be the first uh, Alabama wide receiver off the board, and it ends up being Henry Ruggs. And I think we still don't know if that was or was not a mistake. Maybe, you know, we will see um, in this upcoming season. But uh, for the next pick, uh, with the Lions at number seven overall, I feel like if there's still a QB on the board right here, this is definitely a place where they could trade out. Um, because the Lions are rebuilding. They need to be able to get guys. And unless they think Mac Jones is their quarterback of the future and is going to be somebody better than Jared Goff, then they would pick him. I don't necessarily know if that's the case. But in this scenario where we're not trading picks, uh, I would say that the Lions get somebody like Jamar Chase because he is such a big play receiver. Right now, their wideouts are very iffy, kind of, at best. I mean, Kenny Galladay is gone. Jones is gone. So they need somebody to be a big play guy. And I think that he can come in and he can probably be that. He made all kinds of plays with Joe Burrow down there when they won the national championship. Hey, I, I, uh, I actually have the top two quarterbacks or not two, but I have two left. I have Trey Lance and Justin Fields left. I don't think Chris Spielman, former Ohio state. Great. I don't think he's going to be able to resist Justin Fields there. If he's there at seven, Mm. And I think Spielman's got a lot more juice than people realize. Jared Goff is definitely a short-term thing. They they traded for him in part because, number one, they don't have a veteran guy. Number two, they picked up an extra first-round pick to do so. They didn't get two ones and a three for Matthew Stafford. They got a one and a three for Stafford and a one to take on that contract. I think they take Justin Fields in that spot, Miles. I like that. If he's still there, yeah, I think that that would make sense because I feel like he's a different type of quarterback than a Jared Goff, and I think he maybe might fit what Anthony Lynn would construct for an offense a little bit better than a Jared Goff would just because Justin Fields has that uh, mobility. Uh, For eight, I kind of go back and forth for the Panthers between an offensive lineman and Kyle Pitts, who is still on the board, especially because the Panthers just – Man, they don't have anybody who can really make plays at tight end. At least they didn't last year. But I'm going to go with Rayshon Slater because they really do need a tackle. They have to get somebody to come in there and uh, replace Russell Okung. So I think if they do that, they're at least setting up Sam Darnold to have a better chance at success and better protection. And you really want to be able to evaluate Sam Darnold this year because if it turns out that he's no good, you know that you're going to be in that quarterback derby again next year. And if he doesn't have good protection, you might not be able to evaluate him properly. They're going to be tempted to take Trey Lance at eight, but I, I think that they're going to go with somebody to help Sam Darnold be as good as he can be. Curtis Samuel left via free agency. Jamar Chase is still available. Coach Matt rule said, we now can take the best player who's there when we pick. And Jamar Chase, in my mind, is that guy. So I'll go chase at eight to the Panthers. All right, that makes plenty of sense. Uh, At the Broncos, number nine. So that's where either the Broncos probably could trade back if Mac Jones is still on the board, or I would think they could do what I think they're going to do and take him. Why wouldn't they take Jones? Take Jones, yes. That's what I'm saying, yes. That's exactly what I'm going to say. Yeah, they're going to take Mac Jones because I think that they probably would evaluate him as being better than Drew Locke. And I mean, you know what? Drew Locke has made some plays. He's shown some traits, 
But I think the experience that Mac Jones can bring into that program from being from Alabama, from playing in the pro system, he might be somebody that can supplant Drew Locke day one as a starting quarterback. And so if you are able to get your quarterback of the future, I think that that's something that they're going to want to do it because Drew Locke, it, George Payton doesn't have any allegiance to him. He didn't draft him. So that's why I think that at that point, that's what they would do. I'll go Trey Lance. Same reason. It's just Lance is the guy who's left for me. Jones was the guy who's left for you. They've been looking for an upgraded quarterback. I think if they don't get a quarterback in round one, that's when they end up doing a deal for Teddy Bridgewater. There's a chance they would do that deal before the draft. I think they want to see how the top 10 plays out, who they get in round one. And then if they don't have a quarterback by the end of round one before the draft continues the next day, I think they would get Teddy Bridgewater. I'm guessing for a fifth or a sixth round pick with Carolina paying three million of his salary, him getting nine million more from the Broncos, a total of twelve million, and I think he'd become most likely the starter for twenty twenty one. All right. Who do you have for your 10th pick, Dallas Cowboys? Do they give in to the infatuation that Jerry Jones has with Kyle Pitts? Boy, I I feel like they would really, really want to because Kyle Pitts is somebody that could be really, really good. But I think sometimes you have to draft for need when your defense is as bad as the Dallas Cowboys defense was. So I'm going to give them Patrick Sertain the second. I think he's a really good cornerback. I think he can develop into the type of guy that they need on the outside to pair opposite digs. And if you do that, then, yeah, you know, it's not necessarily going to be the same offensively. But I think they have a good enough offense already that even though you probably want to draft best player available, I can certainly see them drafting Pitts. But I just I feel like in this scenario, weirdly enough, Pitts is going to fall out of the top 10. They need a heart and soul of that defense, frankly. And I know Jalen Smith has been that to a certain extent. And it was Sean Lee. They got to go best available defensive player. They have the run of the entire defensive board. This is kind of like having the first pick in the draft because they shouldn't be taking an offensive player. They don't have needs on offense like they do on defense. So I'll give Micah Parsons, the Penn State linebacker, although they could go three, four different ways. They can go Quiddy Pay, the Michigan defensive lineman. They can go Caleb Farley, the Virginia Tech corner. Uh, but, but they got to come out of that round one with a difference maker on defense because they need plenty of them if they want to get to where they want to be. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, in honor of Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez breaking up, we're going to reflect on some of the all-time great NFL breakups. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, so if you haven't heard, Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez have announced their breakup in a Today exclusive. Mm. Apparently, there's a $1.8 million engagement ring that has yet to be returned, and I'm waiting for Jennifer Lopez to do her best Anthony Edwards impression and say of Alex Rodriguez, I don't know who that is. That's what I can't wait to have happen. All right, so in honor of that, and in lieu of any better ideas for this segment on a fairly slow Thursday, the most memorable breakups in NFL history not involving $1.8 million diamond rings. Miles, give me one. Okay, well, the first one I think is very obvious, and that is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And look, this was very important because it just resulted in the most recent Super Bowl that we saw. And I think when you're together for as long as Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were together, that's a really weird thing to see Tom Brady go to a different uniform, first of all. And Tom Brady, for my entire football consciousness, had been the Patriots quarterback. And then to win a Super Bowl with the next team? That's that's wild, man. That's so wild to me. Uh, for me, it's it's Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers. The way that whole thing went down, I still believe to this day that the Packers went to Brett Favre in February of 2008 and said to him, we need to know now what you're going to do this year because they knew if they pressed him then, he would say, I'm retiring. They knew him well enough to know how he how he ebbs and flows and comes and goes. And in February, March, April, May, June, he wants nothing to do with it. When July rolls around and that smell, that smell of the grass late summer gets in the air, that's when he's interested in playing. And that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. And it set the stage for a horrific divorce. And he ultimately ended up back with the Vikings after a year with the Jets. And I remember that first game at Lambeau Field. Every time he was on the field, he was booed. He was booed. He was booed. That, to me, was a ridiculously ugly and avoidable breakup. It was. And I don't necessarily remember it as well as you do, of course. I mean, you were older than me then, so and you still are now. But I think that this that was something that and could have maybe be. been avoided. Yes, I know. Uh, until you die. Um, but anyway, let's just move on to my next pick, which is going to be the Cleveland, the, the city of Cleveland and Art Modell. And I can't imagine why I would possibly say this, right? Well, let me tell you something here, Mike. The Cleveland Browns were my birthright, okay? I was in the womb in the dog pound. And for Art Modell to take my team away from me and put it in Baltimore, where they then won two Super Bowls, right? My, the first Super Bowl I remember was from 1999 with the greatest show on turf. The next one I remember was the one from 2001 where the Patriots won because my mother would not let me watch the Ravens possibly wow. win a Super Bowl because that's how horrible it was for our family. So I got to wow. just say, Art Modell, man, 
not happy with you. All right. And I, and you know, rest in peace and all that. But the fact that my team, my birthright team got taken away and the Browns were atrocious basically for my entire football consciousness until last year, boy, uh, it stings, just stings. I'm glad you threw in the rest in peace. I mean, you said everything, but Art Modell, go to hell. Oh, wait, you're already there. Good Lord. All right. Uh, we're, we're, we don't we don't we don't know that he's there. I personally believe there is no hell, but that's a different topic altogether. All right, Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson, their divorce in early '94, and it wasn't that early in '94. It was in like late March, early April, a very late juncture of the off season to be replacing your head coach. But for whatever reason, they couldn't get along, Miles, and it's a shame because they may have won four in a row if they could have found a way to get those two egos to coexist. They could have, but then they still did win a Super Bowl with Barry Switzer. Not that I remember it, but, you know, I think that that's still awesome for that particular team that you can still say you won another championship. But who knows what would have happened if Jimmy Johnson had been able to stay there and they could coexist. Let me mention one more. Randy Moss had not one but two ugly divorces with the Vikings. First, they abruptly trade him after the 2000 and four season I think it was and then when they traded for him in 2010 remember he got fired because he said of the food in the locker room I wouldn't feed this crap to my dogs that's it see you tomorrow have a great day Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.